0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional. Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
1: Today on Inside Politics, get out and vote. People here in New Hampshire are doing just that, facing a critical choice between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley.
2: We started off with 13 and now we're down to two people. And I think one person will be gone probably tomorrow.
3: America doesn't do coronations. We believe in choices. We believe in democracy and we believe in freedom.
1: I'm Dana Bash, live from Chez Bichon Restaurant in Manchester, New Hampshire. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. The first in the nation primary is on, and there is a lot more at stake here in the Granite State than just the 2020, 22 rather, GOP delegates up for grabs, the entire Republican race and the political environment from now through November may hinge on what voters decide today. Another Donald Trump blowout could make it difficult for Nikki Haley to keep her candidacy alive. But just minutes ago, her campaign manager released a memo insisting that no matter what happens tonight, quote, we aren't going anywhere. Don't forget, New Hampshire voters are known for surprises, and it's up to them.
4: you go for Donald Trump? And why did you feel? this time that he was the one.
5: Because my life was a lot, I think everybody's life was a lot easier, better, economically.
2: I think Nikki has the best chance of uh, kind of bringing our country together. Um, I think Trump uh, has some great policies, but I think a lot of chaos follows him. We've been a Trump supporter, or too happy with how he behaved. It seems like he might have changed that. My conscience won't allow me to vote for a criminal. I'm sorry.
6: And, And what has led you to vote for Haley instead? What do you like about Haley? What are some of the attributes that
7: drew you to her? She's not Trump.
1: I'll speak to Nikki Haley and New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu live this hour. But first, CNN is all over the Granite State today as the country and frankly the world Everybody is waiting to see which Republican comes out on top tonight. Jeff Zeleny is in Manchester, right here where I am, and Kristen Holmes is in Nashua, New Hampshire. I want to start with you, Jeff. You're right down the street from where we are. Uh, What are you seeing there uh, when it comes to the turnout? And can you just give a little bit more about what the Haley campaign is saying in that memo?
2: Well, Dana, there is a steady stream of voters that have been trickling in throughout the day. And even as we've been uh, standing here, we're in Ward 12 in Manchester at an elementary school. And the voters certainly are coming out. We will see if it matches the projections that uh, the election officials here are saying a record-setting turnout. Uh, We will see about that. For the Haley campaign, uh, Nikki Haley was at uh, a polling place earlier today with Governor uh, Sununu and she was talking about her way forward. She said, yes, of course she will stay in this race, looking ahead to South Carolina. Moments ago, the Haley campaign sent out a reminder that she's having a rally tomorrow evening in North Charleston, South Carolina. But take a listen to what she said this morning when our uh, Kylie Atwood asked her about Donald Trump's claim that she should get out of the race.
3: I don't do what he tells me to do. I've never done what he tells me to do. I didn't get here because of luck. I get got here because I outworked and outsmarted all the rest of those fellas. So I'm running against Donald Trump and I'm not going to talk about an obituary just because y'all think we have to talk about it. I'm going to talk about running the tape and saving this country.
2: So clearly the question is how many of those undeclared voters, those independent voters here in New Hampshire, will decide to grab a Republican ballot. That's what they do when they walk into a polling place like this, either grab a Democratic or a Republican ballot and make their decision. She's counting on a good share of support from them as well as Republicans. But, Dana, the question will be the margin of of the the outcome uh, tonight. If we take a look at a bit of the history of New Hampshire and Iowa, we are only one week and one day from the Iowa caucuses, but never has there been a winner in Iowa and New Hampshire, a non-incumbent winner. So should Donald Trump win tonight here in New Hampshire, he will also make history in that regard. There's always been a bit of a correction, as Nikki Haley said, or just a different uh, verdict from New Hampshire uh, voters in the primary here, at least in recent time, but all eyes now are on the next hours of voting. The Haley campaign is trying to get those undeclared voters out to the polls. They're focusing on a lot of counties where Donald Trump underperformed Governor Sununu when he ran the last time. So as we talk to some voters here, uh, they uh, are making their decisions, there's no doubt, but there is a sense here that the Trump campaign certainly walks into this primary day far more confident. Dana.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Great to see you out there. Kristen, now to you outside Trump campaign headquarters uh, in Nashua. You have some new reporting on what the Trump campaign is thinking,
5: what their mindset, what their strategy is today. What are you hearing? Yeah, Dana, look, they are way more confident today than they were last week. One of the things that we had talked about was them watching Nikki Haley's rising poll numbers and how they were going to handle New Hampshire. Now, today, I just spoke to a number of senior advisors who say they feel very good going into this primary. They took a two-pronged approach. They hit Nikki Haley on immigration, trying to shore up Republican voters who generally, according to polling, had sided with Donald Trump. And then they also hit Nikki Haley on Medicare and Social Security which they were trying to get those independent or unaffiliated voters to come over to Donald Trump. And they believe that this strategy worked. Now, the question is, how big is the margin going to be? That is what the senior advisor asked me today, what what he was uh, looking for tonight, and how big a win would mean that he would potentially be the presumptive nominee or Nikki Haley would potentially drop out of the race. But right now, what I'm being told by his senior advisors, by his inner circle, is that if he does well tonight, they are going to start focusing on a more general election approach. They are going to start looking at various swing states. But again, Dana, going into this, they are feeling very confident with those poll numbers. Kristen, thank you so much. Appreciate that great
1: reporting. And Donald Trump didn't make his closing argument to New Hampshire voters by himself last night. Three of his former 2024 rivals were there to signal the party unifying behind the dominant frontrunner.
2: Thank you very much. Vivek. We love him. Dynamo. He's a friend of mine. Become a friend of mine and a really good one. Doug. Bergum one of the most respected people in all of Washington, Senator Tim Scott, South Carolina.
1: Notably absent from that group of rivals turned endorsers, Ron DeSantis. Joining me now to talk about all of this on this very exciting day, two great political reporters, Lisa Lair of the New York Times and our very own Eva McKend of CNN. Nice to see you all. I should uh, sort of lift the veil a little bit. Lisa drove drove me back from a Trump rally like an hour north of here. We got back at midnight last night. So uh, if we seem a little tired, that's why. But I had thank you. a later night than you. Oh. I was in Dixville Notch. Oh, you were? Oh, yes. Wow. Okay, that's cool. We'll talk about that <laughs> yeah. in a second. Let's start with um, the news that The Haley campaign is trying to sort of drive as voters go out to the polls and as we all talk all day long through a memo from her campaign manager talking about the members of Congress, the press and many of the weak-kneed fellas who ran for president are giving up and giving in. We aren't going anywhere else. After South Carolina, we head to Michigan, which also has an open primary followed by a closed primary in Washington, D.C., going through saying on to Super Tuesday, despite the media narrative, there is significant fertile ground
6: for Nikki.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a message that her supporters very much want to hear. When I was in Dixville Notch talking to voters, they really resented this idea that the race was over. They still want to have their say. And I think that this idea, if Trump ultimately is the nominee, that Republican-leaning voters are automatically going to coalesce around him is a deeply problematic. What I'm hearing from a lot of these voters in the state supporting Haley is that they would consider President Biden in a general election. So that is why she is staying the course, because she has a constituency and people that are receptive to her message.
1: Dixville Notch, way up north, way up the, north. the <laughs> earliest uh, polling station historically open. It's it's a great tradition here. Six voters, they all voted for Haley, right? They did. Okay, but mm-hmm. six voters. Uh, what are your thoughts on the sort of table setting that the campaign, the Haley campaign,
6: is trying to do? Well, look, you, you want to keep your supporters energized and mobilized, and nobody likes to vote in a contest that they feel is over. So I think you're seeing a real effort here to try to keep this margin as tight as possible. If it's, if, you know, if she comes in second and it's a notable defeat if she loses by double-digit margins it's really hard to make a case that she should continue on in the race so she I mean ideally if you're Nikki Haley you come in first but if that's not going to happen you've got to keep the race as tight as possible to be able to make a case for yourself to stay in and also to be able to raise the money from donors who don't want to put money that feels wasted into a race to be able to continue on
1: Let's talk a little bit about, about what you and I witnessed last night, Lisa, which is uh, the last rally that Donald Trump had here before voters go to the polls, and it was really striking to me. I'd like to have your thoughts on the fact that yes, we heard a lot of the same, just sort of the greatest hits when it comes to the reasons why he's been wronged and also, uh, you know, why he should be president. But he did talk about two big issues which he has been slamming Nikki Haley on from the beginning of uh, this race, oh, and she's behind me. She's coming up next. And that is immigration and social security. Let's
2: listen to him. She got out and she fought us on the border wall. She condemned my strong border policies. Not only do I want to build a
3: wall, I want to do a whole lot more than that. And that's why we need to make sure we do a national E-Verify program in this country.
2: She wants to raise social security retirement age by approximately 10 years.
3: I never once said I was gonna raise the retirement age for anybody that was in the system. Um, I don't know when the last time you analyzed a candidate's
6: campaign with that candidate right behind me, (laughs) but go for it. Well, look, I think that, you know, Donald Trump clearly sees this as a a potent line of attack. People don't like the idea that the retirement age is going to be raised. They want to be able to retire and they want to feel like that promise is assured. So it's interesting to me that he's not someone who's known for attacking on policy. He's known more for attacking on style and, Nick, you know, with the nicknames that he's so famous for. So the fact that he's going after her on these two issues, which are really, it's not an untraditional republican issue like it's it's quite a traditionally republican stance to want to restore fiscal responsibility to social security to entitlement programs but it really shows in some ways that how important the state is for him to win and also how much Donald Trump has changed the ideology of this party That's such a good point.
1: um listen to some of the voters who we talked to uh, you might have talked to some of the same voters I did, Lisa. I talked to some at the Trump event last night uh, where they were explaining why they're all in for him and they're not looking at Nikki Haley or anybody else. I thought he was a good president before and I think he can help fix this country.
2: I'm worried about the border and people coming into this country illegally and that's I mean, my main concern. It's been pretty evident since he's left office that a lot of a lot of things have changed, not for the better.
5: I haven't really quite heard what his plans are yet. Like I haven't heard him come out and say what his vision for the future is yet.
1: And the flip side: why uh, people who have voted for uh, Donald Trump are going to take a look at Nikki Haley.
4: I think she's going to bring some common sense back to the White House. There's none there right now. There's no decorum.
1: Why is Nikki Haley the right person to do that right now?
4: I think she can bring the younger people in. I think she can bring uh, some sensibility in. The White House has been pretty old over the past two presidents, and uh, I think that needs to change.
7: Yeah, her whole argument is that it's time for a new generation of leadership, and there are Republican voters that want to hear this message. There are going to be voters with Trump no matter what, but there are, it seems like, an increasing number of voters that are just looking for an alternative. And Dana, on the Social Security issue, why I think the former president is hitting that so hard, you know, Republicans historically have lost elections on this issue. It is a huge vulnerability for them. He doesn't feel the need to offer any sort of policy prescription. He's not giving an answer, but he's beating her over the head on this because he knows that it resonates with voters.
1: No two campaigns, no two elections are ever the same. But the one that is most analogous to this happened 24 years ago, and that was in 2000. John McCain was really going for those undeclared voters. Uh, let's just kind of get give a sense to our viewers of where that ended up because, um, of course, he won New Hampshire. Uh, he won with Republican voters and independent voters and also newly registered voters by pretty big margins. Let's look at what our latest poll says about these uh, two groups, the Republican voters. Donald Trump is up by 47 points. And those undeclared or independent voters, she's only up by 27 points. Now, that's a big lead. But in order
6: to actually overcome Donald Trump, it's got to be bigger than that, right, Lisa? It does. And you know, another thing we've seen in some of these polling is that enthusiasm is much higher. Among these Republican voters who are supporting Donald Trump, he has a very strong following, and it's a very passionate following. So, if you're looking at who's likely to come out to the polls today, that's a really good measure, and that's part of why I think there is a sense in the state that uh, Haley may not be able to do what McCain did all those years ago and come from behind and win this thing.
1: Thanks to both. Appreciate your great reporting. Thanks again for the ride, Lisa. You saw her behind me. She uh, is here with Governor Sununu, Nikki Haley, Chris Sununu, live next.
0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds
6: are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment
7: with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.
1: Welcome back. Let's get right to my guest here, former Governor and Ambassador Nikki Haley, and also her biggest supporter here, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. I think supporter. I think I need to step it up. Hype, hype man. How do I,
3: how do I describe it? I don't know what to tell you. Okay. I'm just a fan oh, a great heart. partner for sure. Uh,
1: governor Haley, when Governor Sununu endorsed you, he said you would win in a landslide here in New Hampshire, and then he told me a few weeks ago that if Chris Christie got out of the race, you would win. Uh, Christie is out. It is just you and Donald Trump. So how is anything other than winning tonight a success?
3: Well, he said that, yeah. I didn't say that. So let's be clear.
4: Um, Remember, I'm the hype man. I'm the yes, man.
3: <laughs> You know, I mean, again, we want to be stronger in New Hampshire than we were in Iowa. Then we want to be stronger in South Carolina than we were in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a building game. That's what you want when you run in an election. You just want to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. That's our goal. So how do you define success? We'll find out tonight when we see the numbers. I mean, I think y'all will be defining whether it was successful or not. How do you I mean, define it? If we're stronger than what we did in Iowa, then I, to me, then we're moving on. I mean, Iowa was not... Iowa was a big night for Donald Trump. You only won one of 99 counties
1: by one vote, so that's pretty
3: low. Iowa was a big night for me as well. We started at two percent, we ended with 20 percent. Um, I don't, I think, and that brought us into New Hampshire with a one-on-one race. I would say that was pretty good. Okay, so you're the one who defined success pretty high before. How yeah, do you look, do it we,
4: now? So we all again, that comment was if everyone that could vote, right? Because we want what we're trying to do is drive voter turnout, right? If everyone that vote, yes, yeah, she would it would be an easy one, but so every new voter that comes out so the successes and what we're seeing on the ground we're out there today people are coming in not just in the morning there's a steady stream of voters coming in all over the state so the high voter turnout bodes very well for the challenger if you want the incumbent who is effectively donald trump and this guy who used to be a disruptor but is now basically the establishment guy that is just getting all the support out of washington dc the big government guy that's him but if you want to think 5 10 20 years down the road about it creating an infrastructure for republican conservatism that's nikki and that's what the people are coming out for
1: your campaign manager sent out a memo this morning and it lays out the reasons why you will stay in this race through South Carolina and beyond. It covered a lot of issues. I will tell you that I've covered a lot of campaigns. I've seen a lot of these memos written on the day of or the day before a, uh, an election and they really mean it when they're writing it and then the results happen and things change. I mean, Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis both said that they weren't gonna drop out and then they ended up doing it. What assurances can you give voters in South Carolina and beyond that you're in it, that the tape that you talk about that you wanna run through is months
3: away? I mean, we just put down a $4 million ad buy in South Carolina. I mean, we have been running a very um, smart, strong campaign. We had 14 candidates it's now down to two. That's not because I was lucky. That's because I was outsmarted the rest of them and outworked the rest of them. We're gonna continue to do that. You know, everybody's waiting to write my obituary. I don't know, you go from 14 candidates down to two, that's not an obituary. That's somebody who's a fighter. That's somebody who's not given up. That's somebody who believes in America so much that will put away what the media class and the political class is saying and say, look, we're going to get this done for the good of the country and watch us do it. You're not going to go there. Like, for example, double digits, if you lose by double digits tonight. I mean, I don't even want to talk about numbers, and I don't think okay. y'all should either. The only numbers I care about is our people getting out to the polls. And what we saw today, people are excited to get out and vote. I mean, look at the fact that the conservative union leader endorsed us. Look at the fact that, you know, the first six votes in the country that happened in Dixville Notch, all six came to us, not part, not one, all six came to us. All of those things are wins. I look at the wins. I don't look at the obstacles, because if you look at the obstacles, you're never focused on what the end game is. The end game is how do we go so strong that not only do we take care of this primary, but we go and we win a general so that everybody can start to get back on track. We've got to focus on the issues that matter, not about whether a poll is saying something or not. Governor Sununu, you were just on another network, and you said some pretty tough stuff about
1: Donald Trump. Saying that uh, he is not the Donald Trump of 2016,
4: and I don't think anybody he's that. he's yeah.
1: off the tele. If he's off the teleprompter, he can barely keep a cogent thought. Yeah. Okay, but he's still the guy that. If what you're doing here doesn't work out, which I know you're working very hard to make sure it does,
4: you would vote for him for president? Yeah. Look, he's just not the same guy, and that, I think that's what people are seeing. If if he was the same guy in the whole nine yards, this would have been a fate to complete. But it's not. Folks want something different, which is why all the, everybody's coming out. They believe in a Republican Party of the future, not just litigating chaos of the past. That's why you're seeing so much excitement here. And again. You know, if the argument is, oh well, if Trump you know wins in New Hampshire, I guess this is done. Well, if Nikki wins here, is Trump done? Is that the, is that our is that our our argument? No, of course not. Look. New Hampshire's New Hampshire's biggest opportunity in every four years is to winnow down the field. We did that. Nikki did that. Not, I mean, Nikki did that even before we got to New Hampshire. And so these first three states are to make sure that America knows their options, 47 others to go. And it's the voters, not the media, not Donald Trump, not even Nikki Haley, it's the voters that will decide who leads this party in this country.
1: Yeah, that we definitely all agree on. It is completely up to the voters, but you have to make your case to them. One of the things, just kind of bouncing off of what you said about that he can't even read a teleprompter without giving a cogent thought, um, you keep saying over and over again that Donald Trump is too old to be president since he confused you with Nancy Pelosi. You've also been noting that he doesn't have the cognitive ability, you don't think, and that chaos chaos follows him. But do you think that he is fit to be president?
3: I think that he's fit, but what I'm saying is, Do we really want two 80 year olds to be our options when we're talking about president? And that's not being disrespectful. It's the fact that we need somebody that's gonna go eight years ready, fully focused to do that. Neither one of them can say they can do that, right? One, because Trump can't run longer than four years. But two, is that really what we wanna do when we've got a country in disarray and a world on fire that we're gonna do that? So what I'm saying is you can't say that when you're 80 that you're not in decline. Scientifically, you are in decline. No matter who you are. Yeah, I think he's fit. You can see that he's out there. He's intellectually mean, you know,
0: like,
3: I mean, look, we've seen him get confused. He was confused about me having something to do with keeping security away from the Capitol. I, clearly, he was talking about someone else. He was confused when he said that Biden was going to run us into World War II. Clearly, he meant World War Three. World this is more of a, about Have you heard a vision? from him on where he's gonna take us in the future. You have it, you've heard about who he's gonna go against in the past, what vendettas he's gonna take care of, but nothing about the vision for the future. Let me just ask you another
1: version of the question
3: of fit because he was found liable
1: in a civil trial for sexually assaulting E. Jean Carroll. He's under investigation for obstructing attempts to get him to return classified documents that he took uh, from the White House. He's arguing constantly that he deserves total immunity. You think that
3: that conduct makes him fit to be president? If I did, I wouldn't be running. So the the but whole you also focus have
1: pledged to support him and endorse him if you end up not making it.
3: Because I don't ever want to see a president Kamala Harris. That should send a chill up everyone's so spine. Do you
1: think sh- that a president Kamala Harris would be more dangerous than somebody who Uh, is alleged to and has been found liable for
3: the conduct that I just described? What I worry about is the media doesn't think Americans are smart enough to see that. Americans are going to look. Do they want someone that's tied up in investigations? No, Biden and Trump are both tied up in investigations. That's why they 75% say they don't want to see a Biden-Trump rematch. People don't want to have two candidates in their 80s. People see that they both ran us trillions of dollars in debt that our kids are never going to forgive them for. This is about the fact that people want someone who's going to secure the border, bring down inflation, focus on getting education back on track, getting the country moving again. That's the biggest thing. They don't want to deal with the negativity and the chaos of the past. And so This is not personal for me. I don't dislike Donald Trump. I don't dislike Joe Biden. What I dislike is the direction in our country. What I dislike is that I don't like my kids feeling like this, where they wonder if they're ever going to afford a home, if they're going to get a job, how they're going to how they're going to deal with this debt. Those are the issues people, regular people want to talk about. They don't care about this, the pettiness with Trump and Biden. That's actually what they want to get away from.
1: I was at a Trump rally last night. Immigration was the issue that voters told me they care the most about and the economy. And he was president. So they say, let's just go back to him.
4: Yeah, he didn't do anything with either of those issues, right? Did did we build the wall? That was the biggest promise that we got they in already 2016.
1: Did the, they had more money in their bank account. Yeah. But the problem is- But
4: they owe more money today. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but no. They no. owe more money today. Their kids owe that money. $34 trillion is not government debt, guys. It's your debt is our kids' debt. Like, we owe that money, not the government. We owe that money, and it comes out in terms of taxes. So uh, the analogy I give is like, hey, buying a nice fancy house for your family and putting it on a credit card. It looks good out front, but my God, what have you just done to, to the family in the well, debt and situation? not only that,
3: he put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years. So yeah, the economy may have been good, but he ran up the credit card to do it. Everybody knows that's not sustainable. We can't run our households like that. You sure don't want to run government like that. And what should chill everybody is the fact in two years we'll be paying more money on interest payments than our defense budget. That's not okay. And we don't want Russia, China, and Iran to see that happen.
1: We spoke exactly at this time last week, the day after Iowa. You've now been running around uh, campaigning very hard in New Hampshire. What have you learned this week in New Hampshire and even before that? Over the past few months campaigning that you wish you knew then that you know now about how to approach this campaign i
3: mean look i think campaigns are all about learning and lessons and you have to be very flexible i mean to me new hampshire and actually iowa to a certain extent it's very much like south carolina i mean i grew up where campaigning is a contact sport you've got to touch every hand, you've got to answer every question, you've got to be out there, you've got to go to Donner's, you've got to go to breweries, you've got to go. That's how South Carolina is too. So from that standpoint, you know, I think that came very natural to me. What you learn is what people in New Hampshire care about. They care about a northern border. No one talks about that. Everybody talks about the southern border. They care about the fentanyl flow. People hear about that New Hampshire's been hit very hard. They care about transparency and education. You know, I mean, there's certain things that they care about that is different than other parts of the country, but they're just as important. And so I've learned a lot from them. And I love that granite staters, they wear their feelings on their sleeve. They tell you exactly what they think. And you know what they think? They don't understand why we have an open border. They don't understand why Joe Biden's done nothing to secure it. They don't understand why Republicans and Democrats are both spending like drunken sailors when it's their tax dollars. There's a lot they don't understand. What they do understand is they're ready for a new generational leader. They're tired of the peacocking, they're tired of the political class, and they want to see something get done. you wish you got in this race?
4: Oh, no. Uh, I, I can't. Look, I have a lot of energy. I've never met anyone that can keep up with me. I can't keep up with her. I mean, I'm, I, I can't tell you how impressed I am. The fact that she hits the last, en- the last event of the day with the same energy, enthusiasm, spending the time with voters as the first one. She's the last one out of the room. I love that about her. She just wants to connect with people.
1: Thank you both for stopping by. Thanks so much. Nice right. surprise to see you appreciate it. And up next, uh, the first joint appearance by President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris on the campaign trail this year. Their big focus, the issue they think will send them back to the White House for another term.
7: I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together, but what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest the podcast, New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: President Biden's re-election campaign has its eyes locked on New Hampshire, and seeks to draw a stark contrast between the president and who he believes is going to be his opponent, Donald Trump. They have a rally today in support of abortion rights. MJ Lee is there, live in Northern Virginia, where the president and vice president are gonna speak. They're gonna be together, MJ, for the first time since uh, the 2024 campaign started. You've been reporting uh, for, for many weeks now about the fact that they are sort of rearing to go. And now here they are.
8: Yeah. And Dana, uh, I'm not in New Hampshire today, where many of my colleagues are and where all of the political action is today, because that is not the wh- wh- where the Biden campaign is today. Uh, instead, we are here in northern Virginia, where the Biden campaign is offering their counter-programming to everything that's going on in New Hampshire. And you're right that this is going to be an event that is largely focused on the issue of abortion and reproductive rights, an issue that the Biden campaign uh, believes will be hugely mobilizing uh, going into November. November. November, this is clear that the Biden campaign uh, wants it to be clear to voters that they are not competing uh, in New Hampshire, that the president's name is not even on the ballot, that there are no delegates up for stakes, up for grabs. Uh, And so this is why we uh, find ourselves here. Now, uh, this is going to be an event where the president himself is going to be uh, introduced, we are told, by a campaign official, uh, by a woman, a Texas woman, who said that she nearly died because she could not get uh, access to abortion in her home state. Uh, So again, very much leaning into these testimonials. Uh, And as for New Hampshire, the Biden campaign obviously is uh, very much closely watching what happens in the Republican race. You know, this could be the night, they believe, uh, where they find out whether this is going to be sort of the unofficial beginning. Of the general election for them. And as we have reported, uh, there are plenty of Biden campaign officials and allies and other Democrats we've spoken to who are impatient and they're eager to unofficially, again, begin that general election matchup between uh, Biden and Trump. And they would like for more voters to start believing that reality for the campaign as well. MJ Lee,
1: thank you so much for that great reporting, as always. Lisa Lair and Ava McKend are back here with me. Uh, Hi, guys. Nice to see you again. Let's just follow up on what MJ was just talking about. And to set up this conversation, I want you both to listen to what the Vice President, Kamala Harris, told our colleague, Laura Coates, uh, while they were traveling in Wisconsin yesterday.
7: We are here in January, and I'm going to tell you, in these intervening months between now and the election, I am going to do exactly what I'm doing here in Wisconsin, which is traveling the country to remind people of not only what is at stake and the harm that is occurring every day, so many women silently suffering, but also remind them of the connection between their vote and an outcome that puts back in place the protections of Roe.
1: You know, just the contrast in, in seeing and hearing that and seeing and hearing the candidates here, particularly Donald Trump, and it's really all about him and about uh, the kinds of things that he says he will and won't do. Uh, but it's really about him. For them, it seems as though that their argument is beginning to be, to be almost don't worry about who's on the ballot, worry about what's on the ballot, and that is abortion number
7: one. Right. And you know, the reason why they are centering this is because it continues to be a winning issue. You know, when I travel across the country to battleground states and I speak to voters, I'm surprised at all of the demographics that are concerned about reproductive rights. It's not only women or young women, it's older women, it's men, the men in their lives, spans racial lines. So black voters in Georgia, for instance, they're also concerned about this. And so that is why they are centering this. But it's not the only issue that Democrats can run on. There are real anxieties across the board about the economy, about quality of life. So I'm interested to see uh, how this can be a both end conversation, and how they talk about those other issues as well.
6: And I think what Democrats have seen since 2016, this is an election after election after election, independent voters uh, have rejected Donald Trump and that Donald Trump has really been the greatest energizing force Democrats have had with their own base. So by making this race a referendum or attempting to make it a referendum, not as much on President Biden and what he has done over the past four years, but on uh, a Donald Trump and what he would do if elected for another four years, Uh, Democrats believe that's a position of strength. That's a playbook that has worked for them, you know, in three cycles, two midterms and a presidential in the past. So that's part of what we're seeing them try to do.
1: You know, and the other... One of the many challenges that President Biden and Kamala Harris are going to have is uh, the coalition of voters that got them in office in the first place, keeping them together, particularly progressives who are not happy for a number of reasons. I want to listen to what Ro Khanna, who is a very prominent progressive lawmaker, said on that issue.
4: My message to young folks and to progressives in this state is you don't have to agree 100 percent you there is room for you to have different opinions and push us push us in Congress push this president but let's make sure
2: we win this election so we can have a progressive future
7: he said that here in New Hampshire he did I, you know Dana I think that this is really insufficient and I think that people that sort of buy this aren't speaking enough to young progressive voters and are sort of, Uh, underestimating how angry they are on a whole host of issues. I'm really watching Capitol Hill right now and what becomes of these negotiations on the border, on immigration. They cannot afford to cede any constituency. And I think that this response from Congressman Khanna is too cavalier. Yeah. The
6: issue, of course, is not that these voters vote for Donald Trump. It's that they don't vote at all, right? And that's really important. Democrats can win if they put together that coalition that elected them in 20. And uh, young voters and liberals, progressives, are a really important part of that coalition. They have to turn out for Biden to win.
1: Appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. And up next, John King takes us for a swing around New Hampshire, talking to voters about who they're supporting and how their thoughts have evolved over this campaign. His latest in his series, All Over the Map, next.
4: Great.
1: <laughs> CNN's John King has been all over the map talking to voters about their choice for president here in New Hampshire. Some told John that issues like immigration and their financial well-being are pulling them aboard the Trump train. John joins me now. He's back in Washington getting ready for tonight's coverage. So, John, you've been talking to these voters for months. How are their views evolving?
9: Uh, Dan, it's interesting. Governor Haley earlier in that interview said she has out-hustled, out uh, the other Republican candidates. That may be true, but we found from these Trump voters who have a long list of complaints about Donald Trump that she hasn't quite connected to them because they view her as a traditional politician. One example, Devin MacGyver lives there. It's Thornton. About 2,700 p- people live in this small town. As you can see, it's on the way up toward the White Mountains. He works in construction. He sees the MAGA people on the side of the road on the weekends, he says he laughs at them, and rolls his eyes, thinks they should be home cleaning their yards. But listen, he says he doesn't trust traditional politicians, but Donald Trump, he believes, will help him on two critical issues.
4: I know he'll fix the border. He'll work on the economy. With Trump, is doing pretty good. I was able to save more. He is definitely different. Sometimes he's not his own best friend. He's different. We have other branches of government to deal with it. They can keep him in line. He can't have everything he wants.
9: So you hear there, he thinks, yes, Trump, if you reelect him, he'll hit the guardrails again. But Devin MacGyver thinks the other branches will keep him in line. Another voter down here, Andrew Konchak is a commercial fisherman. He lives here in Dover. He thinks Trump's the only one who will save his job. Trump opposes the green energy wind farms. They want to build off the coast here. So listen to Andrew Konchak here. He says Trump will save his job, and he says he's voted for him today, even though he goes home to a wife who doesn't like Trump.
4: I'm with Trump because he supports
9: fishermen. You know, and uh, this obviously is my livelihood. I don't like the way that he speaks sometimes. could be a little ignorant and rude. When you hang your Trump flag, what does she say? She said I was ruining Christmas and wanted me to take it down. And uh, she took it down and then I put it back up. And, Dana, listen to this. Caitlin Concheck, I sent you the video of them going to vote with each other earlier this morning. The other day we were there, she was a Haley voter. She told her husband after voting today because he told her Trump's the only one who will save his job, save their livelihood, she decided in the end to actually vote for Donald Trump. So that's Haley's problem, trying to connect with some of these voters. So just quickly, what would Nikki Haley have to do tonight? To surprise, if you see what I just did in the magic wall, let me stretch it out a little bit. The areas you see in the gray at the bottom of the map, these are the suburban counties in Southern and South Central New Hampshire. The light gray, those are the suburbs. That is it. Up here, you get to the rural areas, that's Trump country, Dana. If Nikki Haley is gonna pull off a New Hampshire surprise, she's gonna have to do something she was unable to do in Iowa. Run it up in the suburbs, along the coast, Southern New Hampshire, along the Massachusetts border. We'll count them tonight.
1: I wish we had time to run that video that you sent me. You should put it on social media. The body language between your fisherman with the hat with Donald Trump and his hair and his wife,
9: and, and yet she voted Thanks for so Trump. much, John.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh,
1: we're going to have much more here in New Hampshire next. Thanks, John.
0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.